invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Please rise for the reading of the word. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The word of the Lord. When we think about our foundations, um, and when we think about what our life is built on, where we find strength, encouragement, I want to think this morning a little bit about all that we've experienced in our community over this last week. I mean, it's a May or two. It's really amazing the amount of down trees there are in our community, right? I mean, the wealth of the snow and the impact on the trees, uh, the snowmageddon, as some people have called it, uh, has left many uh, trees down over our driveways. It's knocked down power lines. It's caused people, the snow has caused people to not be able to get to where they want to go. And all this has caused me to think about the reality that many of those trees that I've seen, I would have thought they would have had stronger root systems and would have stood up under the weight of the snow. And yet many of them have failed and fallen and broken. Branches everywhere. Even as we deal with that reality physically, I want to think about that reality spiritually. I love the way, as Greg said, many of our deacons and people have reached out to one another. We've been expressing care and support uh, for those impacted by this, uh, you know, all we've experienced in the last few weeks. But I want to think about this related to where we are spiritually. For it's one thing to think about and receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and to know that eternal life awaits us in the future. It is another to continue to live in him and be so rooted and built up in him that we're actually able to become stronger in our faith, the faith we have been taught as we face life's challenges and all that's being thrown at us. Now, whether it's uh, because you are finding it difficult to stand up under the present strain of life or are not overflowing with thankfulness right now or just simply want to grow or mature in your faith apart from all the outward dynamics, we can all benefit from a firmer foundation or a stronger root system. Knowledge of our future salvation can be a great source of hope. But we need to know that our faith can stand up under the present strain of life. And we want to be built up and strengthened and live more thankful lives in the midst of all those outward circumstances. That's why our leadership decided to focus on strengthening our foundations of faith this winter. And we begin this sermon series on the book of Hebrews. And as Greg said, many of our study groups um, are going to be interacting over these passages, and the gathering group's going to be holding an alpha study, and we want to strengthen marriages, all because the stress and strain of life, especially over the last two years now, has just been incredible. And if we don't have a strong root system, if we don't have a strong foundation, we're likely to fail. The book of Hebrews starts with strengthening our foundation by talking about the word, the word of God, and the place that it plays in a a foundation of faith. 
If you follow along on the screen or in the insert in the bulletin, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What we need to understand here is that all our foundation of faith is rooted in the foundation that comes through understanding God's word as inspired by God and given to us in order to show us how to live life. And in this way, if we rightly understand it, we believe it will not lead us falsely and that it is true. Not because I tell you it is true or somebody else tells you it is true, but because it attests or it is self-attesting to being true. It says it is true about itself. That's why the founders of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination framed our essentials of faith around the foundation of God's word. There it says, all scripture is self-attesting, speaks of the truth of itself, and being truth requires our unreserved submission in all areas of life. The infallible word of God, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is a complete and unified witness to God's redemptive acts, culminating in the incarnation of the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the supreme and final authority on all matters on which it speaks. On this sure foundation, we affirm these essentials, the other essentials. So again, if we don't understand the foundational truth of God's word, the other truths about who God is, what Christ has done, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the work of the church that is before us, the knowledge that one day Christ is going to return and set all things right, all those truths are built on the fundamental truth of God's word. We believe God has spoken. And the direction and revelation of God is ultimately fulfilled in the person of his son, Jesus. Nikki Gumbel, the Alpha Course speaker, says, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Christianity is a revealed faith. We cannot find out about God unless God reveals himself. And God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is God's ultimate revelation. And the main way to, we know about Jesus is through God's revelation recorded in the Bible. God, uh, Paul wrote about the inspiration of the scriptures that, is, that are available to us in 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 to 17. There Paul said, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That the servant of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
The word there in the Greek, uh, theopanustos, is literally uh, God, you know, some people say, it, you know, God willed, it has been translated as, as, as inspired by God, but transliterated, transliterated, it literally means God breathed. The writer is saying that scripture is God speaking, that it is 100% from God authored by him, also through 100% human authorship. We see the Bible then as 100% authored, originated by God, breathed out by him, originated by him, but also 100% through human personalities like Paul, who's really spunky, and Luke, who's really detailed as a doctor, and Moses, who on Mount Sinai took in God's word and wrote down the first five books of the Bible. God authored his word, and he ultimately seeks to bring his word to fulfillment in the person of Jesus. If you look at Jesus' life and the way he viewed God's word, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, we can say that Jesus himself treated the scriptures of his day as having been spoken of and spoken by God. This high view of the inspiration of the Bible has been held by the worldwide church down through the ages. Irenaeus, for instance, who lived in the second century, spoke of the scriptures as perfect. Martin Luther, one of the great leaders of the Protestant Reformation, spoke of the scriptures which have never erred. More recently, a contemporary writer, N.T. Wright, says, We read scripture in order to be refreshed in our memory and understanding the authority of God's word, but also its relevance for our everyday life. You see, God breathed the words that he then had human beings write down. And this means that the credit of human authorship and origination, or the authorship of the Bible and its origination, comes from God. It wasn't people just thinking up their best thoughts. It wasn't people just writing down, you know, what they were seeing of Jesus, though it was eyewitnesses. It was inspired by God. They were directed by him. The letter of the Hebrews then begins by asserting the greatest single fact of Christian revelation. God has spoken to man through his word in the Bible and through his son, Jesus In Christ, God has closed the greatest communication gap of all time, that which existed between a holy God and a sinful humankind. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Sometimes, sometimes, there are communication gaps between my wife and I. There are times when we are not entirely on the same page, where I am not always picking up the mail she is sending to me. That's why we have a marriage course. And communication is the second talk. I know other marriages don't have the same reality. You understand each other 100% of the time. You have perfect communication. You know, it's just the Griffins who are challenged by this. There are communication gaps in all human relationships. But the greatest communication gap existed between a holy, perfect God who created all things and a sinful humankind that had to be reached out to through God's word and through the word, Jesus. God has overcome the greatest communication gap ever through his word in order for you and I to know what love looks like and who God looks like. 
Author F.F. Bruce simply says, God has spoken. This initial affirmation is, is basic to the whole argument of the letter of Hebrews, and it is indeed basic to the Christian faith. Had God remained silent and shrouded in thick darkness, the plight of human beings would be desperate indeed. But now he has spoken his revealing, redeeming, and life-giving word. And in his life, in his word, we see light. But that special revelation that he's given kind of has, has two stages. First, to the fathers, given through the prophets, and finally, through the sending and giving of his son. And many people wrestle with these two stages of divine revelation. They, they see how God operates in the Old Testament, and they're like, hmm, he seems, you know, judgmental, harsh, critical. And then we see the way God works in the New Testament, and it's like he's loving and caring and, and all love and nothing harsh. But a true reading of Scripture sees that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God progresses in his revelation through the sending of his son, but God has not evolved. God is the same, and we can trust him. And in James 1.17, it talks about uh, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and he does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same, and we can trust him. So in one sense, we could say that Jesus is more of the same. God has, all, God has been speaking. He's been communicating. He's been seeking to reach out. And the revelation of Jesus is, is a fulfillment of that and, and a further expression of that. He is the ultimate word. And indeed, he himself, though, is the word. So there is both connectedness as well as newness when God sends Jesus. In a way, we could say he is the prophet par excellence, whose coming is the culmination of all prophecies and promises of the past. Like the prophets of the past, he spoke the word of God. But unlike them, he is the word of God, incarnate, in flesh. God spoke by the prophets, but his uniqueness is in the sending of his son. Commentator Edward Fudge says it this way, the chief character of the Bible is God. And a chief characteristic of God throughout the Bible is he is the God who speaks. The author of then of Hebrews has this magnificent vision that unfolds in the introduction of the, of the passage. He, he brings out something of the greatness of Jesus and his work of salvation. And it's significant that the subject of the first verb, God, is, is referred to 68 times in, in the book of Hebrews. He's going to continue to point us back to God all along the way. And right at the beginning, we are confronted with this reality of God and that God has been active. And his first activity commented on is that God has spoken, we're then told in various ways, in various times, to reach out to us and who we are. One of the things the marriage course will refer to is a book uh, by a guy named Gary Chapman. He wrote a book called Five Love Languages. And Chapman argues and, and defends his, his hypothesis rightly that there are unique ways that we each hear and receive love. It can come through quality time with one another as a couple, for instance. It can come through acts of service. It can come through touch. It can, it can come through, through gifts, or it can come through words of affirmation. But we all receive love and understand, perceive love in different ways and through different languages. 
Well, we could say God wants to, us to perceive his truth and his love, and he does that and speaks that in different ways and languages so that we can understand it in its fullness. In the past, the passage says, God has spoken. He spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. The early stage then, the revelation of God, was given in a variety of ways. God spoke in his mighty works of mercy and judgment and made known through his servants, the prophets, the meaning and purpose of his works. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush on Mount Sinai to get Moses' attention. And this stuttering, fearful, uncertain servant is emboldened to go to Egypt and be God's vehicle of rescue for the people of God out of slavery. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. After Elijah heard the wind and the waves and there was an earthquake and all these amazing physical manifestations, we're told that God spoke to him in a still, small, quiet voice and called him back to reach back out to the people of God. He spoke to Isaiah in a vision in the temple where there were seraphim flying around and Isaiah said, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Who am I? And God says, you're the one I want to send. We see him speaking to Hosea and his family circumstances in Hosea 1-2 and to Amos through the image of a basket of summer fruit of all things. God at times conveyed his message through visions and dreams, through angels, through symbols, and through natural events. He appeared in various locations such as Ur of the Chaldeans when he called Abram to go and be blessed and be a blessing to others. He called people out of Haran and to go to Canaan. He even called people in Egypt when the people of God were under slavery. God spoke even to Daniel in the midst of Babylon. God spoke at many times and in various ways. The revelation that the writer is speaking of then has its roots in the deep past. He's referring to what God did in days of old, in the times of our forefathers. Verse 2 here shows that the term forefathers is a shorthand way of referring to Old Testament believers in general. So it wasn't just the prophets who said, thus says the Lord. We see God speaking to Adam and Eve. We see God speaking to Noah. We see that God was in, working in his people, in his prophets, to be his interpreters. They were God's messengers, but they were inspired by God and his spirit to speak. For instance, 2 Peter one twenty one says it this way. For prophecy never had its origin in human authorship or will. But prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who inspired their words. For instance, near the end of the Old Testament, Tim Keller in his book, Hope in the Times of Fear, talks about Daniel. Daniel adds to all the other prophecies about the kingdom of God that it will include a bodily resurrection to eternal life in Daniel 12, 1 through 2. 
And so by the time that Jesus announced that he was the Messiah, the expectations were that the Messiah would come and heal the world and abolish all evil and suffering and resurrect all believers into the fullness of life. And then Jesus comes and he confounds people seeking to understand the revelation of God, not by coming as a political or military conqueror, but by coming as a suffering servant who, as the word of God, took on flesh and laid down his life for us on the cross so that we could know new life in him. God's communication covers the spectrum of communication from a still small voice to physical manifestations to speaking through the prophets in many different ways. But then he sends Jesus. He doesn't just speak through a servant. He doesn't just speak through one of the prophets. He comes in the person of his son. Hebrews 1-2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. The writer is saying more than that Jesus was the last in a long line of prophets. He actually stands in a different relationship between God and man. The God who spoke in the past has spoken through the very Son of God. A Son who shares the the nature of God with the Father. The God who had spoken at different times and through different means and many in various ways comes in the person of his Son. In Christ, he spoke fully, decisively, finally, and perfectly. Something essentially new and eternally effective has been accomplished by Christ's coming. We're not in this way to set one testament over against the other, like the old being different than the new, so much as recognizing that all scripture is God-breathed. And the way this letter unites both testaments is a persuasive reminder of the authority of Scripture, which is under attack now in our day, just as it's been under attack in every day and age. But get this. The God who spoke in various times and ways, before he even spoke creation into being, had you in mind. And he had sending Jesus in mind. I love blowing the minds of the people who were at the new members class yesterday. You know, before it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke the world into existence. He had you in mind. The sinfulness of humankind, the fall of Adam and Eve, was not a surprise to God. And you are not a surprise to God. He thought you up and had you planned and designed before the creation of the world. And he knew you would need a savior even before you sinned and fell short of the glory of God. He had all that in mind and all that in his plan from the very beginning, even before the beginning. So we can read in places like Hebrews 9.26. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in 1 Peter 1.20 He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus was there with the Father, a co-conspirator and co-creator. And then he comes. 
And the amazing reality is that he not only came as a revelation of God and in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and promises, and a great study is to look up all those. If you look in the Old Testament, there are more than 320 promises or prophecies that God makes that come to fulfillment in Jesus. And many of them are at the time of his birth and the time of his death, and many of them he could not have arranged himself. No one can pick where they were born unless you're the son of God. Unless God the Father authors your birth being in Bethlehem. And many of us can't choose the way we die. And yet God, out of his love, chose to die in the way he did for you and for your salvation. God reveals himself. And the amazing thing is he not only revealed himself in the past through the Old Testament, he not only revealed himself through the sending of his son, he reveals himself to you every time you open up this book if you're willing to listen and to hear his still small voice. I've referred to 1 Peter a couple times in this message already. That's where I am in my Bible reading. And in 1 Peter 2, I was reminded that God is the shepherd of my soul. And I don't know about you, but my soul needs a shepherd. My soul needs direction and guidance. It needs the sacrifice that Jesus made as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Apart from him, I have no hope. And yet I also found in 1 Peter 4 that my sufferings are, are part of the sufferings of Christ. And he takes up those sufferings in his death on the cross. And he redeems those sufferings. And he makes good out of them. Even though initially they seem like evil and, and difficult and dark. And those difficult times in life. And yet God leads us into new life. Even some of you over the last couple of weeks have been in the dark for two weeks. And yet you've experienced Christ's light. Present revealing himself to you because he loves you and cares for you and you are never alone because he's with you. The writer of Hebrews points us to Jesus and the fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of God in him. The emphasis on the son Jesus leads to a series of seven propositions about him in the first four verses. The first is that as the son, he is the heir of all things. Jesus, as the son of God, will ultimately fulfill and receive all the promises of God as the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is even now in heaven. My sons will receive an inheritance. They're my heirs. They're particularly interested in my baseball cards right now that actually are worth a fair amount of money as it turns out. But they'll receive that from Beth and I. But Jesus <laughs> receives all the heavenly Father has to give. And he has all to give. The second proposition and truth about the Son is that through him, God made the universe. God is the creator. But as is said elsewhere in the New Testament, he performed the work of creation through the Son. For instance, John 1, 3 says, All things were made through him and and by him. Nothing was made that has been made without him. And Colossians 1, 16 says, All things were created through him and for him. Jesus and the Father had this amazing creation project that took place in the beginning. They did it together. Much like I might sit down after Christmas and create some Lego Star Wars project with one of my kids, spending quality time together, 
creating a Millennium Falcon or a Slave One Star Wars ship, God the Father and God the Son created this universe together as the ultimate post-Christmas construction project. Jesus was there from the very beginning, making all things along with the Father. The third truth here about the Son is that he is the radiance of God's glory. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we see the radiance of God's glory in him and through him. The fourth representation or depiction here is that he is the exact representation of God's being. The image here for exact representation denoted an instrument for engraving. And the mark stamped on that instrument. Here the writer is saying that the son is the exact representation of God. Actually, the, the, the image or the word here for, for precise representation or expression is the Greek word character, which, from which we get our word character. So what the writer is saying is Jesus fully and completely reflects the character of God because he is God in the flesh. When we see Jesus, we see the Father, Jesus tells us, because they share the nature of God. He not only created the universe, but it says in the passage that he has sustained all things by his powerful word. He, he upholds the universe. But this isn't a static thing. The Greeks believed in a God named Atlas who, who basically holds the world up under him. If you've seen Ayn Rand's book cover, Atlas Shrugged, it's like, you know, God, you know, holding up the universe and then just decided to let it go. He's not just holding up under the weight of the universe and sustaining the universe. He's sustaining it to a purpose and an end. He's not just underneath it like, oh, well, or underneath the weight of it. He's actually carrying it towards the end through which God intended and purposed from the very beginning. He sustains all things. He's carrying out his plan and bringing this universe to the end God designed from the beginning. And he does it through his powerful word. His word in creation. His word through the prophets. But ultimately his word that became flesh and manifested and dwelled among us. He sustains this world through his word. And he leads it to the end he wanted to accomplish with the sixth statement about the son. He provided purification for sins. The author comes to what is for him the heart of the matter. The thing that had gripped him most was that the very Son of God had come to deal with the problem of human sin. Friends, we have had a ton of problems in the last two weeks. We got down power lines. We got down branches. uh, We have been without power for weeks, many of us. But guess what? Any problem that you have experienced in the last two weeks pales in comparison with your fundamental problem. The fundamental problem you have is the problem of sin. It separates you from God. But the good news is God sent his one and only son, the very word of God, to provide purification for your sins. He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's purified you from all stain, wrinkle, or blemish. And that is very good news for this almost 50-year-old who has more stains, wrinkles, and blemishes by the day. 
This last week, Josh was playing soccer for Nevada Union. We're down at Lincoln, and Josh has settled into this place on defense. And he's never played defense before in his life in soccer. He's still learning what he's doing. But the main thing he's kind of figured out is you have to stand between the ball and the goal. But unfortunately, what happened on Wednesday night is he got his face between the ball and the goal. And this guy kicked a shot that was just a rocket, and it hit him full flush in the face. And my son went down. And before he'd even gotten up out of the ground, the blood was starting to come from his nose and get all over the white Nevada Union away jersey. And while I was attending to him in the bathroom, there was a nurse that came by who works at at Sierra Nevada. That was great. He did the whole concussion protocol thing. We, We got the blood to stop. This mom came by and said, you want to know how to get that blood out of his jersey? Please help, because I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, there's no hope of getting the blood out of this. Well, you do this, this, and this. And Beth followed what that lovely woman said, and Josh once again now has a Nevada Union away jersey that is pure stark white with no sign of blood on it. Jesus purifies us from sin. Rather than just physical laundry, he does what is necessary to purify your heart, mind, and soul, to free you from sin and lead you into the new life he has for you. And the good news is that even now in the seventh statement about the son is that when the work of purification was ended, when he made us holy white, pure as snow, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven on high. And he is even now in that place of authority. And he's even now interceding for you before the father on your behalf. He's a prophet. He speaks and is the word of God. He's a priest who accomplished the perfect sacrifice for your sins that you needed. But he's also a king who sits enthroned in heaven alongside the majesty on high. And he's there in that place of power and authority. Again, working and directing this universe to bring about the ends through which he wanted to accomplish. And that primary end is the salvation of your soul. And when we find that reality in God's word, it changes our lives. And we meet this God every time we open up this book. For me, it happened at the age of 17. (laughs) Prior to that time, God's word was like black and white and flannel board graphs of somebody, you know, teetering, you know, across the flannel board and Sunday school associations. And then at 17, God spoke his word to me in living color. And I meet with him again and again every day when I open it up. And he changes my heart and my soul every time I interact with him in his word. Nikki Gumbel, the originator of the Alpha Course, shared a story similarly. He said he was wanting to help some searching friends. So he thought he would embark on a thorough research subject of the, the subject of religion. He made a plan to read the Quran. Karl Marx, John Paul Sartre, the existential philosopher, and the Bible. He happened to have a rather dusty copy of the Bible on his shelves, so that night he picked it up and started reading. He read all the way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and halfway through John that night. The next day he read Acts, Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And he says, I was completely gripped by what I read. I had read it before, and it had meant virtually nothing to me. This time, it came alive, and I could not put it down. It had a ring of truth about it. 
I knew as I read, Gumbel writes, that I had to respond because it spoke so powerfully to me. Very shortly afterwards, he says, I came to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If we accept the Bible as inspired by God, as authored by him, then its authority in our lives must follow from that. If it is God's word, then it must be our supreme authority for what we believe as well as how we act. And the good news is, its fundamental reality is it is a love letter from God to you. God doesn't want you to guess or wonder whether he loves you or not. He's actually sent you a love letter from him to you. God has spoken. And his word about you is that you are loved. And that his greatest desire is to be in relationship with you. And we could meet with him daily through his word. We not only find it as a a manual for life, but we experience it more and more as a love letter from him to us. And the main point of the Bible is to show how to enter into and experience a relationship with God through Christ. It's no good studying the Bible academically if we never come to Jesus Christ, if we never meet him in the words we read. But if you do and you open up your heart to him, Trust me, he will speak afresh to you through what he has spoken time and eternity past. This is what makes the Bible so alive. And why the writer of Hebrews could say that the Bible, God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates our hearts and our bones and our marrow. And when it penetrates that, God comes in and ultimately makes all things new. Friends, there's just too much going on in this world around us to not sink deeper roots in to God's word and your relationship with God right now. If you don't, you will dry up and you'll lose your spiritual vitality. It's not enough to have great spiritual experiences you can point to in the past. Unless we are deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, in his word, and in that relationship with him, we will not be able to withstand the storms of life. Like those trees around us, we will become uprooted and die. But rooted in him, attached like a branch to a vine, Jesus, you have the greatest trunk ever created, the most solid foundation ever known. It's stronger than any oak that stood the test of time because it's before time and it's now been unfolded in time and it's shown us what love looks like. Friends, don't be like Nicky Gumbel where you got a dusty Bible on your shelf that's never been opened. Pray and ask God to speak to you through it and open up to one of the Gospels if you need to get started and read a chapter a day and just allow God's love letter to unfold in your heart and your mind and your life and ask God to understand it and seek out other friends and community and your growth groups and studies and so you can help get input on it. But if you do... I trust that God will come in and he'll make all things new and you'll have a firmer foundation than you ever hoped for and that foundation will stand the test of time. Amen? Amen. Shame is a prisoner as cool as grave. Shame is a robber and he's come to take my name. Love is my redeemer Lift me up from the ground Love is the power where my freedom song is found There ain't no grave 
Gonna hold my body down Ain't no grave Gonna hold my body down Well, fear is a liar with a smooth and velvet tongue. Fear is a tyrant, tell me how to run. Love is resurrection, love is a trumpet sound. Love is my weapon, I'm going to take my giant now. There's no grave. Out of the grave I'm walking to If you 
walked out of the grave, I'm walking to, I'm going to Jesus. If you walked out of the grave, I'm walking to. And we give it all to you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 